0: Thank you, Craig and team for leading us. Mary, what, three days? Three days, is it, before Christmas? It is a wonderful time of the year. We are, I am going to pause from the book of Acts. I know that you're a little shocked by that, but we're actually going to address the subject that I think is on all of our hearts on all of our minds this morning and that is Christmas. Turn take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter one. I'm gonna read a couple verses of the Christmas story um, as we get underway. Uh, before I I saw these beautiful little grandchildren right up in front of me and you are so blessed, gaunt family. I was thinking of a story that I heard recently of a couple young boys. They were brothers and they were visiting at their grandparents' home a couple days before Christmas, right around now. And um, as they were were tucking in at night, both the boys knelt beside their bed and they began to pray. And the one brother began to pray, God, I would really, really like to have a new bicycle for Christmas. And he, he said it again and he said it louder, God, I would really like to have a new bicycle for Christmas. And he said it three and four times. He got louder and louder and louder to what his brother said. What are you doing? He said, God... Is not deaf. He hears you perfectly well. He said, I know, but grandma is really getting hard of hearing. <laughs> you know, I thought about that as I saw the grandkids, and I thought about the fact that a lot of times when we pray, we kind of pray with an understanding that we're going to take care of our problems ourselves. Uh, this morning, as we get into God's Word, as we read a couple verses from scripture we're going to deal specifically about old testament new testament in a sense fitting perfectly together and we will see today in a time and a day that we very very easily tend to limit god we will see today in scripture what i call the full force of god christmas is a time that we see the full force of god listen to these words in matthew chapter 1 Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Back about 600, more than 600 years before that, let me read to you what it says in Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I know that we're familiar with this because we read this story at Christmas. But get this idea: Matthew one says this is how it happens. Six hundred plus years before that, it is exactly planned out to every detail. We see at Christmas the full force of God. Wonderful time to celebrate. Let's bow our heads and ask for God's blessing as we learn this morning from His Word. Father, I thank you. We together thank you for this time of the year. Lord, a time of of festivity and, and fun, no doubt. And we thank you, Lord, for the blessings of being together as family. But Lord, all of those things aside, may we be mindful, just as Craig encouraged us as we sing. Don't just let familiar words erupt from our lips, but help us to pause on the meaning of what is happening around us. Lord, that you are an amazing, powerful, mighty and sovereign God that you planned every single detail long before it ever happens. And we thank you for that. God, help us today as perhaps we wrestle through tough times to trust you, to put our faith in you and to see your sovereign hand over all reigning and ruling over all. And I would ask that you would guard my lips and my mouth and my tongue from saying anything that does not bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here with us. I would ask, God, that you would speak very clearly. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. I don't know if you've ever um, heard of the Sangre of the Cristo Mountains before. They or a mountain range in the southern parts of Colorado. I remember a number of years ago we were traveling as a family and we had the opportunity to pause as the sun was going down. It was just a beautiful, gorgeous, majestic scene where there are more than 12 peaks, 12 mountains that rise above 14,000 feet. And it's amazing as we were in this little tiny town in the middle of nowhere and as the sun was setting... Something happens, we're not exactly sure, they're not exactly sure, but it's the way that the sun reflects off the rocks, that it just bursts forth with just a thousand different array of of colors, predominantly or primarily red. Sangro is Spanish for blood, Sangro de Cristo. They're actually named because the sun, as it sets, casts this red it looks like the blood of Christ. And I remember that, that what do you do instinctively, visitors? You take out your camera and, and you kind of put it out there and you snap like a little picture of it. And, and it, we, we chuckled, literally, just put the camera away. Because as hard as we try to look at this whole thing, we, what, well, the very best that we can come up with, we come away with a little, a little tiny cheap snapshot. Of the scene. It is virtually impossible for us to capture the entire scene. I want you to think for a moment of that entire mountain range as history. Okay? All of time. Now think of it it is impossible for you and I to see. All of time, all of history unfurled before us. It's kind of like taking what, a little snapshot. That's all we see of an entire mountain range. Yet what I remind you today is we have an opportunity to pause on the Christmas story. We get a glimpse of the full force of God. God sees it all. Okay? He sees the past, He sees the present, and He sees the future all at one time. Virtually impossible for you and I to even get a glimpse of that. But that's exactly what God sees. At Christmas time, we are reminded about the full force of God. I was reading a Psalm of Moses. We oftentimes don't realize that some of the Psalms were written by Moses himself, and he says this in Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, And the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I love that. As hard as we try, we lack God's view. As hard as we try, we lack God's perspective. As hard as we try, we lack God's vantage points. Yet what is amazing is this. God, in His unending and immeasurable love and grace for you, gave to us people who had a unique ability, who had a special gift. David Jeremiah describes these unique people as men who could see shapes in the mist of the future. God actually equipped certain people to see shapes in the midst of the future. A person, a unique person with this unique gift was called, is called, a prophet. Prophets are specific people who were obedient to God and spoke specifically for His purpose. And we want to look today at the importance of prophecy and who these men are. And why is it that God allowed some to have this vantage point, some to have this gift, and others not to have it? Why is it that God actually wanted to reveal to us long ago Bits and pieces of the future for us. Why is it? Ultimately, let me remind you because God loves you, you this morning, sitting in this chair in this church on this day. God loves you. God loves me. Now, I don't know about you, but I am still blown away by that. And nowhere, no other time than at Christmas time, do we get a glimpse of this? Where God, in Christmas time, allows us to put us on the path to the cross. God wants us to know very clearly what lies ahead, A, to encourage us today, and also to warn us. Why? Because whenever you turn on the news, what do you hear? You hear more bad news every single day. You hear about some shooting somewhere or violence or economic turndown or uncertainty or bloodshed or famine or flood somewhere. And yet, as believers, as ones who who understand that God loves us, we don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about that. In all honesty, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ don't have to fret or fear. And we don't have to worry, although we are weak and human and sinful and we struggle. Because we know that what we don't see the whole mountain range. But God does. He sees everything. And we have the privilege of not only knowing and worshipping the one who made that for us, but in a sense, he, he sees it all and He allows us to be reminded of individuals. He said, I know exactly what's going to happen in the future. In the Old Testament, the central job of prophets was not necessarily just to predict the future, Okay, to, to, to foretell what was happening, but it was also to preach in their day. As a matter of fact, they spoke more about the present than they did about the future. And so there's a constant cry for present obedience and present holiness, present faith and present surrender and submission to a holy God. And so in the Old Testament, from Genesis all the way through to Malachi, there's this, there's this rumbling underneath. There's almost a trembling of anticipation of one individual who's going to be coming. One individual who's going to be unique from everyone else that reveals to us a plan that God loves us and has a plan for us. So although we rebel and although we, in a sense, restrain, feel that we are restraining ourselves from His holiness, He still unfurls our plan for us in an amazing way. And so today we need to be reminded to trust him. That nation Israel is the story in a sense that God chose to use the vehicle by which God chose to use to reveal this plan to us. And so think about the nation Israel for a moment. Goes through ups and downs and victories and defeats and times of attack or assault or disobedience or correction Yet there's this one nation that God, in a sense, has his finger on, his hand on, that reminds them that he is there for them, that he loves them. In this entire nation, of entire portion of, of history, we see this one nation that individuals, in a sense, are brought to the top to give a glimpse of the future. They're referred to as prophecies, or when we have a specific prophecy about one specific individual, the Matthiah, are referred to as messianic prophecies. Now think about what we just read. Isaiah talks about the fact that there's going to be a woman, a virgin who who conceives miraculously, and they're going to have a baby and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew, we read that 600 plus years later, there's a woman who's not been with a man. She miraculously has a baby, and they call his name Emmanuel, God with us. The chances of something like that are happening are absolutely thrilling and amazing, and yet people constantly question the validity and the authenticity and the accuracy of God's Word. I don't know if you picked up this week or not on the news, but on, on Tuesday night, actually, it was 11 o'clock, when there was a, a huge lottery drawing where everyone had heard that this jackpot, I wrote it down, I, I, didn't, I didn't play it, Mega Millions Lottery. Some of you perhaps may have actually took a dollar and said, I'm going to try my shot at this. 11 o'clock on Tuesday night, they drew six numbers, 8, 14, 17, 20, and 39, with a mega ball number of seven. Somebody In Georgia, somebody in California both drew those numbers. So when those numbers were picked, they take a ticket and they cash or they separate $636 million to be split between them. Now, what is amazing is the number of people who played that lottery, although the chances of winning, get this, were one in 259 million. Think about this you pay a dollar, and you have one in 259 million chances to win, you actually have more of a chance of getting hit by an asteroid on your way to work than you do than winning the lottery. And yet millions upon millions upon millions of people bought into that. And yet what is interesting is that pales in comparison to the numbers that, that, that represent the accuracy of Scripture. Now, I am not a mathematician, so I did some research on this. Listen to this very carefully. By the way, of a little bit of a numbers this morning. There have been described in the Old Testament 300 prophecies of the first coming of the Messiah, or of the birth of Jesus. All of them made hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus and fulfilled to the letter... In Jesus Christ the Messiah. George Harron, a French mathematician, actually calculated that the odds, excuse me, of one man fulfilling only 40 of those prophecies, now think about, there's actually hundreds of messianic prophecies. The chances or the odds of one man fulfilling only 40 of those prophecies are 1 in 10 to the power of 157. Here it is. That is one followed by one hundred and fifty seven zeros. Another mathematician, Dr. Peter S. Ruckman, claims that the odds of being fulfilled, only 60 of them, by the only person who claimed to be the Son of God, who died on tree at Calvary, who rose on the third day, are astronomical. Not just one in one trillion, But one out of ten to the eight hundred and ninety-fifth power, there is, that is one over a one followed by eight hundred and ninety-five zeros. So there is no number that we even call that. And yet Jesus Christ reveals in accuracy the fulfillment of every single one of these prophecies. Christmas is just an opportunity to see what? God in full force. And so we have, to, we have to pause on that. I know there's wrapping paper and there's tape and there's lights and there's food. But we have to see God in full force. It's very, very obvious that God is not going to be confined by boundaries of time. He would. And I want to take you to... The prophet Micah. That's going to take you about as long to find Micah as it is to preach the rest of this message. Micah chapter five. It's one of those little minor prophets in the back of the Old Testament. I'm going to read that in just a moment. Micah chapter five. We'll begin in verse 21, in verse 2. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. We get a purpose. like is actually 720 years before the birth of Christ. And we get a little bit of a glimpse of... ...of the purpose that as it ends in verse 5, the first part of verse 5... ...and He shall be their peace. Let me give it to you th- four things very, very quickly by way of, of how Christ was born... ...where Christ was born, when Christ was born, and why He was born. We already looked at the first one initially with how Christ was born. Absolutely miraculous when we read from Isaiah... Chapter 7 that says that he was going to be born of a virgin, completely unique from any other conception in the history of the entire world. What is amazing is that if we were to, in a sense, take one, just one of the, the messianic prophecies, the virgin birth, and yet we understand the significance of why is it we speak so much about this young woman, Mary, the virgin at Christmas time. We have to understand that there is a unique and miraculous birth that blends for us, what? Both humanity, full humanity, and yet deity of God. Matthew's purpose for including that in Matthew chapter 1 is, is it's, it's it's apologetic. In a sense, he is including this to defend the truth of the gospel. Knowing what? This Bible today is constantly under attack. When somebody criticizes, well, you guys believe this book and it's ancient it's out of date, you take them to the story of Christmas. You take them to the fulfillment, what? In perfect detail of Matthew chapter 1 from Isaiah chapter 7. How does Christ do this? Why, in a sense, does he do this? The, 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 the virgin birth of Christ is, is one of the most important doctrines that we actually acknowledge and believe. Take that away and what do we have? We have nothing. I was reading this week, John MacArthur actually says it like this. The whole superstructure of Christian theology is built upon it. Humanity and deity being brought together as one. If you consider the power of the gospel, it is that God, God in all of his infiniteness, God in all of his holiness becomes man and he is fully God and he is fully man. Thus, he's able to what? He's able to reconcile a holy God to sinful men. Think of it like this. Jesus' virgin birth, later on his substitutionary atoning death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return return. All are intricate parts of his deity. Which means they're all connected. They rise and they fall together. Reject one. Reject the virgin birth. Then you, what? you end up rejecting everything. How could God do anything else? He's, he's, not, he's not what he claims to be. He's not who he says he is. How does this happen? Absolutely miracle of God. Understand the significance of the virgin birth that we sing about And that we talk about at this time of the year. Where? We just read in Micah chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem, you're too little. talks about this little obscure town in the middle of nowhere. And yet we read Luke chapter 2. All about this little town, Bethlehem. Understand the significance, the accuracy of God being revealed in full force. Not only how does he do this with the miracle of himself through the virgin birth, but the accuracy of where he does it in all these little tiny towns that are dotted all over the place throughout that region. In this town, hundreds of years previous, 720 years, Micah writes about it, that it is fulfilled to a T in Luke chapter 2. How about the when? The prophet Jeremiah, I don't know if you have, take with me, and take your Bibles and turn with me to, to Jeremiah chapter 31. <clears throat> it talks a, a, a unique historical event that, in a sense, aligns perfectly, we would say, oh, that's just coincidence. No, No, this is the full force of God that is revealed for us. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. What is this referring to? Rachel, in a sense, the mother of Israel in many respects, weeping for her children. We know what happens in Matthew chapter 1 with what is referred to as the slaughter of the innocents, where this wicked King Herod says, I want every single baby boy two years old and down slaughtered. Historical record is all over the place of this. And yet we see how clear it is from the prophet Jeremiah that says in the middle of this slaughter... Marking the when there will be one who is born. We see, most importantly, the why. The prophet Isaiah, again, we go back to Isaiah. And in chapter 49, it says in verse 6, Do more than restore the people of Israel to me. Do more than restore. Israel has been looking for this champion. Do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. There's one coming, Isaiah says, who will bring salvation, who will save. We just read in Matthew chapter one. It talks about the presence of God himself revealing to us what? That there is hope. There's hope for you and I. I don't know. Can, can you see it? Can you understand and get a glimpse as to the big picture? No, I'm reminded of is, is, and this is like so on me, of an artist at work. Or, or, or a potter. A potter that takes a lump of clay and it is nothing and it is ugly and yet, yet through skill, and through the right hand movements and motion, something begins to form. Take an artist with, with an ugly blank canvas. There's nothing there. There's nothing that exists. And with some shapes and some colors and the movements, something begins to, to, to reveal itself. Something begins to be formed. And after a while, let the potter finish with masterpiece. Let the artist step back from the canvas with an absolutely beautiful display. That's what God is doing. We just see bits and pieces and clumps and lumps and blanks. And yet God is forming. God is revealing something for all of us to enjoy. That's what he's doing as he unfurls his story for us. Because God loves us enough that He offers a plan to redeem us. And so what? By reading the prophecies, by going back to the Old Testament, by learning the prophecies, by knowing the prophecies, we actually begin to see the whole mountain range. We begin to get a, a breathtaking glance of the gorgeous plan of God, as He has everything worked out to the tiniest detail, and so over these next couple days, as we enter the Christmas season, there are clear prophecies that align perfectly with the Christmas story. That Lord willing, you will pause and read with your family, and and, and match those together, and dialogue on the importance. That there is a God behind all of this who sees it all and He can be trusted. He knows you. You can put your hope in that. I had the privilege, you know, that you guys allowed me to visit uh, the Holy Land this year and... And one of the most interesting places that I visited was Bethlehem, which is really not on the list of, of visit places because of how dangerous it is. And there's some hostility that's there. It's in the Palestinian portion. If you look at Bethlehem today, literally, it is it is high walls with graffiti and spray paint everywhere. And there's barbed wires and there's guards and guns and checkpoints. And, and I thought about So this is the place that... The Prince of Peace is coming. I thought this this area here, as a matter of fact, when we were there, there was actually people in Bethlehem that were getting tear gas by way of a a fight that broke out. This is where the Prince of Peace. I thought it's not it's not finished yet. In a sense, it's still being what? It's it's the canvas that's still being It's the pottery that still be informed that ultimately the world today continues to be in complete unrest. God is patient with us and desires for us to put our faith and our trust in him. And when he comes the second time, only through the Prince of Peace, where there truly be peace. So we have that visual reminder I'm thankful today that we have the opportunity to remember the communion table because what is this? This is, this is the ultimate means as to how it's going to happen. And we know what this represents by way of the bread and the cup. That we pause as a church on a regular basis to remember the communion table, that we remember what God allowed to happen to His own Son, that He offered His own Son for His body to be broken and blood to be poured out. But it's through that that the Prince of Peace offers forgiveness and redemption. Through that, we can put our faith and we can have hope. And so we have the privilege as we go into the, into the Christmas season to celebrate communion. And we want to do that. We want to do that on a very, very careful basis this morning. So I, I want to encourage you. I want to remind you what we're doing and why we're doing it. Who is welcome to this. If you have put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is for you. And I encourage you to participate this morning with us as we think about this loaf of bread that is just a loaf of bread, but is a picture of the body of Christ. We'll take that bread. And we know that that bread, what? When Jesus was sitting before the disciples, he broke it and he said, this is a picture, an image, a symbol, a type of my body. And I do this for you. We have to remember that. If we're to remember anything throughout the Christmas story, we have to remember what the full full mountain range. And this is the culmination of why Jesus Christ came, why we celebrate Christmas, because it leads us directly to the cross. And this is what happened on the cross. We know when Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples and he poured out the fruit of the The vine. And he said, this is a pitcher. This is my blood. It's poured out for you. And he said, drink this. And as you drink this, remember what I have done. And so we have privilege this morning. We have opportunity this morning to pause on this very important subject. I would encourage you that as we participate together as a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we do this with a renewed awareness of God's plan all the way back hundreds and hundreds of years. Planning what? That there's going to be one, miraculously, who comes with us, to be with us, to save us from our sin. I'm going to have some of the elders to come to assist me as we serve this to you. I'm going to ask that you remain in your seats and they will bring it to you. And we'll take that together after we ask God's blessing and we'll enjoy the celebration of the communion table. Bow your head with me as we ask God's blessing on the bread and on the cup. Father, we are so grateful for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for this time of the year that we are reminded that you reveal everything to us in, in a perfect plan. And I thank you, Lord, that you are good to your word, that you can be trusted. And, Father, as we pause now to remember the, the bread and the cup it's a picture of your body that was broken for us and your blood that was poured out, And we pray, Lord, that we would keep that on the very forefront of our mind as we celebrate Christmas. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you've given to us to receive this. Bless it to our bodies and give us boldness to serve you and to speak of you. To shout of your goodness and of your blessing and your sovereignty to all. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ... On the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It says in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Planned perfectly. Craig, why don't you leave